do so on the American Transmissions Talk and Text Line, which is 447-5743. So in this last hour, uh, I wanted to read some of the newsletter columns that I wrote back when I was uh, writing for the newsletter from 2010 to, and I think this was my first one, November 2nd, 2010, and they fired me in 2014. So this is my, I believe this was my first column. When I was in high school in the early 1970s, I supported George McGovern because the anti-war movement was the popular cause to support. My buddy and I went to a local Republican office in Kansas City and told them we were part of a Republican group at our high school. They gave us a bunch of bumper stickers that said, President Nixon. It was very easy to use an X-Acto knife and rearrange the letters to read, I resent Nixon. We thought that was very clever and had fun passing out the new bumper stickers. After high school, I attended Washington University in St. Louis, which was a very liberal institution. My first vote for president was for Jimmy Carter. Surely a nuclear engineer and farmer, which is a businessman, would know how to run the country. Well, I was wrong. 1977 to 1980 were, no, were not fun years. Driving from St. Louis to Kansas City when there was gas rationing was a challenge. Driving at a speed of 55 on the interstate was maddening. I applied to medical school during college, but was rejected while several of my minority friends who had lower GPAs and MCAT scores were accepted. Uh, those were the days of Alan Bakke's Supreme Court decision. Since medical school appeared out of the question, my brother suggested business school. I was accepted to Washington University's MBA program. After business school, I applied for a marketing position at several companies and settled on a sales position with Monsanto. I had worked summer jobs through college and graduate school for the usual summer job wage level. This was my first job uh, to earn real money. It was all, I was all set to get that first paycheck and calculate how much I thought would be withheld in taxes. Uh, when I... Uh, got the first check and saw how much the government was confiscating from my earnings, my jaw hit the floor. It was at that moment that I became a conservative. I was furious. This was my money that I had earned, and they were taking it. Now I know what uh, what is withheld is not necessarily what is actually paid in taxes, but in my case it was pretty close. I finally followed my passion and was accepted to medic medical school at age 36. I was not very active politically until I became a member of the medical, uh, the Missouri Medical, uh, Missouri State Medical Association. They have a physician of the day program at the Capitol where members can volunteer for one day knowing uh, during the legislative session. Once I got to know the Missouri representatives and senators in the area, I became more politically active. I started reading original documents like the Federalist Papers, Democracy in America, The Law, on liberty and the road to serfdom. These books, among others, lay the foundation for conservative principles. My next column will be on first principles. The next column is conservatives must stand on their principles. All of our positions and policies flow from <coughs> these initial principles. 
Frederick Bastiat wrote the law in 1850. And his deductions are still relevant. Our life, physical, intellectual, and moral life is a gift from God. Life, liberty, and property are inherited rights. Do individuals have a right to exist? Absolutely. Are the individuals at liberty to act as they see fit as long as it does not interfere with the rights of other individuals? Absolutely. This describes life and liberty as inherent rights. What about property? He wrote, man can live and satisfy his wants only by his labor. Each day a man works, a day of his life is used up never to return. The compensation paid for that day's labor is equivalent to that price of his life that is now gone or that piece of his life that is now gone. If individuals have a right to life, then individuals have a right to that compensation, which was exchanged for a portion of their lives. This process is the origin of property. Individuals also have a right to defend their lives and their property, even by the use of force from other individuals. If every person has a right to defend his person, his liberty, and his property, then it follows that a group has a right to organize and support a common force to protect the rights of everyone in that group. Life, liberty, and property do not exist because men have made laws. On the contrary, it was the fact that life, liberty, and property existed beforehand that caused men to make laws in the first place. We are going to continue this after this short break. And the KTTS first alert forecast from Color 10 and Fox 49's meteorologist Tom Schmidt, sponsored by Wolfpack Cleaners, your residential and commercial cleaning professionals. Today, mostly cloudy with a 50-50 chance of light snow with a high near 35. Tonight, a 40% chance of snow with minor accumulations and a low of 30. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of sprinkles and flurries throughout the day, high of 39. And on Friday, mostly cloudy with a high near 40. Currently in Springfield, it is mostly cloudy and 29 degrees. And the new year, it will be here soon. And if you're planning on purchasing a new vehicle, but you have a couple of options that you're looking at, you need to look into Avis, the car rental company, and their long-term rental program. Now, this is a great option if you are looking at several makes or models, but you want a longer test drive than, uh, you know, what you get at the dealership, and you want to get a feel for a vehicle before you actually make that final commitment. With long-term rentals, you can do that. You don't have to make any trips to the DMV. You don't have to pay for maintenance on a vehicle, and you can swap out vehicles every couple of months if you wish to do so. And Avis actually just got their 2024 inventory in, so you will have brand new vehicles to choose from. Now, if you want more information on the long-term rental program, I recommend that you swing by the Avis store here in Springfield. It's located off of Fort and Sunshine. Speak to Lauren. And of course, you can find all of that contact information for Avis under the Sarah's and endorsements tab at ksgf.com springfield's talk 1041 i see you still got the christmas music on i changed it out and i think that they i'm gonna get a little nerd talk here i think they re-exported the logs so everything that i did yesterday just vanished so you get to enjoy it for another uh, day okay <laughs> <clears throat> what's darren gonna get tomorrow who knows he might oh. get some rap or Christmas music. Yeah, play some rap. He, he <laughs> I'm sure he that. will love it. 
this is KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for the vacationing Nick Reed. I've been reading some of my old newsletter columns. I was halfway through one that is titled Principles Must Be Defended, Liberty Reclaimed. And I was reading about um, a little portion of what Frederick Bastiat wrote in The Law back in 1850. And he talked about uh, the right to life, liberty, and property. And he goes on to say, man can also satisfy his wants by seizing the products of labor of others. This is known as plunder. Men tend to take the path of least resistance and will resort to plunder whenever plunder is easier than labor. The proper purpose of law is to use its power to stop this tendency to plunder instead of work. Legal plunder occurs when the law takes from one person and gives it to another. Legal plunder benefits one citizen at the expense of another by doing what the citizen himself cannot do without committing a crime. Bastiat stated, And in all sincerity, can anything more than the absence of plunder be required of the law? Can the law, which necessarily requires the use of force, rationally be used for anything except protecting the rights of everyone? Um, so for the last 150 years, our rights have been slowly eroding. Uh, government takes more of our liberty and property all the time. Um, they need to reverse this. And we need to reclaim some of our liberty and maintain our property, mainly our taxes, uh, from getting confiscated by the government. So we're almost to another break. Um, The next one I'm going to read is, uh, the title was, Issue Isn't Alcohol, It's Parental Responsibility. And this was back in 2011 when there was the Campbell 16 wanted to have beer uh, in it. And there was a vote on whether or not to let the Campbell 16 have beer. So we'll back right after these messages. Ah, an Elvis song. (laughs) This is KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for Nick Reed. You're listening to... Springfield's Talk 104.1. I've been reading some of my old columns when I was uh, writing for the newsletter. This is one I particularly liked. Uh, This is from uh, 2011. On April 5th, the citizens of Springfield will vote on a ban on the sale of alcohol that affects only one Springfield movie theater, the Campbell 16. Yes, the morality police are on the move. They're concerned about monitoring underage drinking in the dark environment of a movie theater. Hello, McFly. If a kid really wants a beer, they don't have to go to a movie theater to get one. Could selling alcohol in this one theater lead to an unsafe environment for kids? The morality police say that impaired individuals could be driving in a parking lot where there are a lot of children. If you are really worried about that, then you better ban alcohol from the restaurants in Battlefield Mall. There are a lot of kids at the mall. For that matter, ban it at every restaurant that is located in any shopping center because there might be kids around. There is a peculiar clause in this ordinance. 
Theaters that derive less than 25% of their income from children are exempt from the ban. Why the 25% exemption? At 24.9%, are kids and parents smart and responsible for their actions? But when one more child is added and it becomes 25%, do all parents and kids suddenly become gullible and stupid, unable to make rational choices? The reason for this under 25% exception is so the morality police can still go to the Moxie Theater, see the artsy films, and enjoy a beer or wine. But for the rest of us that don't go to the Moxie, too bad. The government has to protect you from yourself, so they will decide which movie theaters will serve alcohol. If you're going to say alcohol is bad in theaters, then it should be banned, then ban it in every theater. This is really an issue of parental responsibility. Parents must take responsibility for where they allow their children to go. If a parent is unaware that alcohol is being served at the Campbell 16 Theater, then shame on them. If you do not want your child to be in a theater where alcohol is served, then don't let them go to the theaters where alcohol is served. You cannot legislate morality. Singling out one particular business because you don't like it and getting the police power of government to enforce your will is known as soft tyranny. This problem is not new. In 1835, Alexis de Tocqueville in Democracy in America warned of the tyranny of the majority. Ultimately, it comes down to how much you cherish your freedom. If you would like the morality police to make your decisions, then go ahead and give up some more of your liberty to big government and vote for the ban. If you cherish your freedom and liberty, vote no on the alcohol ban on April the 5th. That is interesting because the Campbell 16 Theater turned into the Alamo, which serves alcohol. So after a few years, it wasn't a big problem. That was one of my favorite ones. I, and I, I talked to some people that you know, were backing this. And they didn't have an answer for why, well, we should ban it from the Campbell 16, but not the Moxie. <laughs> they had no answer for that. Here's another good one. Liberals' minimum wage law creates jobless. I've only got, how much have I got to go? I get about a minute, two minutes. Okay. Let me get, see how far I get through this thing. Several years ago, a ballot initiative was passed in the state of Missouri, which in, indexed the minimum wage to the consumer price index. This essentially uncoupled the state of Missouri from the federal minimum wage. The Missouri House of Representatives recently passed House Bill 61, which recouples the minimum wage in Missouri to the federal minimum wage, stating that the minimum wage in Missouri could not exceed the federal minimum wage. Talking about a minimum wage gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling that you are doing something good for people. In reality, it is the minimum wage causes as much harm as it does good. To understand the effects of the minimum wage, one must envision a continuum of wage rates from absolute minimum to absolute maximum. If the wages were one cent per hour, every employer would want to hire as many people as possible 
and no employee would want to work for that wage, so the employment rate would be 0%. The unemployment rate would equal 100%. If the wages were $1 million per hour, no employer would hire a worker, and every employer would want to work for that wage, so the employment rate would be 0%. We will continue this column after these commercial breaks. You're listening... Springfield's Talk 1041, your first alert forecast from Color 10 Fox 49's meteorologist Tom Schmidt, sponsored by Wolfpack Cleaners, your residential and commercial cleaning professionals. Today we're going to have mostly cloudy skies with a 50-50 chance of light snow and a high of 35 degrees. Tonight a 40% chance of snow with minor accumulations and a low of 30. Tomorrow mostly cloudy with a chance of sprinkles and flurries throughout the day and a high of 39. And on Friday, mostly cloudy with a high near 40. Currently in Springfield, we have mostly cloudy skies and 29 degrees. This is KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for the vacationing Nick Reed is taking this week off. Uh, I was in the middle of reading a newsletter column back from 2011 about liberal... Uh, minimum wage law creates jobless. Uh, to continue from where I left off, at some point between these two extremes is the wage for each specific class of job where the number of workers seeking that job equals the number of workers uh, employers are willing to hire for that job. This is the equilibrium point for that specific class of job. Any wage above that equilibrium point creates unemployment because there will be more people seeking employment than jobs available. If you let the market decide the equilibrium point, you will have maximum employment, which is the same as minimum unemployment. Revenues to the U.S. Treasury will also be maximized since the employing, since employing the maximum number of people means more people are paying taxes and a minimum number of people unemployed are receiving benefits from government. All of the job classifications whose market value is above the minimum wage are minimally affected by any change in the minimum wage. The job classifications that are affected by the minimum wage are the entry-level jobs. When the minimum wage is above the market equilibrium wage, individuals will not get hired and the unemployment rate increases. Why do unions support the minimum wage? Unions have their contracts tied to the minimum wage. When it goes up, they make more money. Liberals love to talk about a living wage. They believe they are the champions of the poor and pushing by pushing wage, wage rates up. The living wage is an incorrect, feel-good term. What liberals really means to say is that they are for an artificially high wage that minimally affects some individuals and creates unemployment for the rest. Liberals promote policies that hurt the poor because their policies increase unemployment. Let me go on to another one. This is kind of interesting one. Uh, steps being taken to meet the Communist Manifesto. There were, <coughs> excuse me, there were 10 parts of the Communist Manifesto. Number one, abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purposes. Reality is over 
the last 20 years, the federal government has been declaring more and more large tracts of land as wilderness and off limits to any development, thus fulfilling the Communist Manifesto. Number two was a heavily progressive or graduated income tax. Well, boy, do we have that. When the top 20% of taxpayers pay 70% of all income taxes, it's a very heavy progressive income tax. Abolition of the right of inheritance. The liberals would like to see an estate, or death tax, of over 50%, which precludes individuals from inheriting the family farms or businesses. Confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. In 2009, the Missouri Information Center uh, Analysis Center uh, put out a list of domestic terrorists, certainly included a broad classification of many individuals. Number five was centralization of credit and hands uh, of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. Well, the federal government used to uh, take over banks when they went into default. Now the federal government can now take over a bank even if it thinks the bank may be unstable. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. Well, the federal government is now looking to regulate the Internet, which means they can control the content. The Federal Communications Commission is considering implementing a local control rule, which is just another way of implementing the fairness doctrine and limiting free speech. Extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. The bringing into cultivation of wastelands and the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan. GM is, no, is now known as Government Motors. I think this was back when uh, the state of Missouri was trying to put in a whole bunch of tax credits uh, to get GM to either move here or stay here, uh, one of their big assembly plants. Number eight, equal liability to all, of all to labor. Establishment of industrial armies, especially for agricultural. Liberals have pushed for card check legislation, which is simply a means of eliminating the secret ballot for labor unions, making it easier for them to control workers. Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution and population over the country. Well, the uh, U.S. Uh, equivalent of that is land planning by counties can control future development of land. So they get all of these uh, regional uh, st structures that tell you what you can and can't do on certain tracts of land. And of course, number 10, the last one, free education for all children in public schools. Abolition of children's factory labor in its present form. Uh, the combination of education with industrial production. The Department of Education continues to expand its control over local schools. So my, my last sentence in that was, it appears Karl Marx is making some headway in the United States. 
I have been reading some of the old uh, newsletter columns that I wrote back uh, about 10 years ago. We will continue with others in, the, in about two or three minutes. This is KSGF and Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for the vacationing Nick Reed. He's taking a few days off. We've covered a lot of stuff this morning. Um, I covered uh, Social Security, did a lot on COVID-19. So you can go to the podcasts if you missed some of the first part of the show. Uh, tomorrow... Uh, Darren Chapel is going to be in uh, the anchor seat, so he's always fun. Do you know who's going to be in Friday? Tom. Tom Martz. Mm-hmm. Tom's always fun. So you got uh, you had some good. You had me and Clary yesterday, and Martz and Chapel. So that was that's a pretty good uh, quartet of guest hosts. So we've just got a little bit left of the last of the third hour. Last one I'm going to read is Common Good Takes Away Rights of Businesses and Individuals. The recent election had two issues on the ballot. Many arguments for and against the issues were raised, but the recurring theme for enacting laws was the phrase for the common good. The phrase for the common good sounds noble and upstanding. Who could be against something for the common good or the public interest? But what does the phrase actually mean? The common good is actually a meaningless concept unless you take it literally. The common part is just another name for the public or society, which is just a collection of individuals. Are we talking about the good of all individuals? The common good is not good unless it is good for each and every member of the group. Good is a concept that applies only to individual persons, not an amorphous aggregate. Anne Rand said it best when she noted, The phrase common good is used because it is elastic and pliable, becoming a moral blank check for those who use it. When the common good of a society is regarded as something apart from and superior to the good of each individual member, it means that the good of some individuals takes precedence over the good of others. The common good actually means the good of the majority as opposed to the minority or the individual. The good of the majority is only a pretense and is an illusion since the violation of an individual's rights means the abrogation of all rights of any individual. Going down this road delivers the hapless majority into the power of any group that proclaims itself to be the voice of society and pretends to rule by force or, excuse me, and proceeds to rule by force. Once the erosion of rights begins, it becomes a slippery slope. At some point, a right that is important to you will be eroded. Only when individuals acting on the basis of individual rights can any good be defined and achieved. Only when each individual is free to work and pursue his own happiness Can he achieve the greatest good by his own efforts? The maximum good is the sum total of each individual working to pursue their individual good. 
Alexis de Tocqueville was familiar with democracy in France where the National Assembly ruled in the name of the majority. In America, individuals formed small groups or associations of individuals. The right of association was important from England and it has existed in America. The liberty of association by small groups became a necessary guarantee against the tyranny of the majority. If private individuals are unable to create an artificial and temporary substitute associations for them, I can imagine no permanent protection against the most galling tyranny, and a great people may be oppressed by a small fraction or by a single individual with impunity. Uh, That is from Democracy in America. When a small group is able to rule in the name of the majority or for the common good, private businesses lose property rights and individuals lose their freedom and liberty. Um, we have a lot of examples of that in Springfield, the smoking ban. Now, yeah, smoking is bad for you, but it is individual property owners that need to decide for themselves, not the for the common good that every business has to be smoke free. And when that occurred, there were 11 to 14 businesses that had to had to go out of business. They could not survive in a smoke free environment. So what the government was doing was harming individual businesses and individual people. Uh, Another example would have have been the SOGI ordinance, uh, the uh, sexual orientation and gender identity ordinance that would have given a, uh, currently it is a commission that is an advisory commission to the city mayor, would have become uh, a permanent board under the city manager and would have had the police power of government to go in and direct your business to do things. You had all of your uh, files, your uh, labor um, information would be open to this commission. So those did not, pa- fortunately, those bit did not pass. The Soji thing may it come back up again. Well, unfortunately, the smoking ban did pass um, because businesses went out of went out of business. But Sochi may try to make another uh, appearance because they liberals rarely give up and say, well, I guess we're not going to do anything. So you are listening to Springfield's Talk 104. Point one. We will be back with some more after this commercial break. Springfield's Talk 1041. Sarah Myers here. Every morning you hear me talk about my friends down there at Quick Draw Gun in Monette. And today I thought, you know, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about them. Why don't I read some reviews for you? Leah wrote, they are very helpful and knowledgeable. Thank you for the time and attention. I'm confident I made the right purchase and I'll be back. Kimberly wrote, it is my go-to gun store. Brad, Jonathan, and the rest of the staff are patient, friendly, helpful, fair, and extremely knowledgeable. I wouldn't go anywhere else. 
And Michael, he wrote, this is the place to go. These guys will talk to you like they've known you for their whole life. Great selection and fantastic service. New favorite gun shop. And those are just some of the hundreds of reviews that Quick Draw Gun down there in Monette have. In fact, I was uh, scrolling through some of them and one of them that I didn't read had mentioned about how you can ask any question and they're not going to make you feel any less for asking it. And that was one of the big highlights of my experience down there is because I had a lot of questions and some of them, they were probably self-explanatory, but they did a great job uh, making sure that I was educated on my purchase. They helped me narrow down my purchase and I couldn't be happier just with the whole experience. So if you are looking for a local gun shop that is just incredibly knowledgeable, very friendly, quick draw gun in Monette is the place to go. Now, in the meantime, if you are looking for something specific or maybe you just have questions, you can give Brad and his team a call today. You can find all of that contact information under the Sarah's Endorsements tab at KSGF.com. You are listening to KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for the vacationing Nick Reed. Uh, We've only got a few minutes left, about six minutes. I wanted to, instead of uh, reading some of the newsletter columns, I wanted to talk about something that is coming up in and it will probably be on the general election ballot, and it is abortion. Uh, there are now a number of ballot initiatives um, that have been submitted for abortion. There's two different groups that have submitted several different amendments. Um, all they have to do is get 5% of the signatures in uh, five of the uh, congressional districts in Missouri. And then it is just a uh, 50% majority to get it passed. And all of them, there's one group uh, that is a constitutional amendment is using the title the Right to Reproductive Freedom Initiative. But part of the things that is included in that is abortion care. The one thing that may help defeat this is uh, some of the ballot initiatives are including uh, or are uh, limiting rape and incest said okay if you want it rape and incest um if you uh, fill out uh, you know if you file a police report uh you can get it for rape or incest uh, and there are a number of people you know that are on the fence or say okay i'm okay with rape or incest um in reality a life is a life and it really doesn't matter, and two wrongs don't make a right. So one of these is at least one, and it's typical for them to have numerous ones that they go out for signatures, but only one of them will end up on the ballot. Um, So there were two different groups. We may have two different ones on the ballot in November, and it's probably going to be in November. The... Last year, the state legislature was trying to change 
the initiative petition reform to make it a little more difficult to pass initiative petitions. Right now, it is just a 50% statewide vote. Uh, I'm associated with a group uh, that is pushing for a, it's called a concurrent majority, two majorities. One, you need a 50% statewide vote, but you need a majority vote in a smaller uh, political district, and we want to use the House districts. There are 163 House districts in the state of Missouri, and we wanted to require an initiative petition to be passed in by a majority in a majority of those House districts. So it would have to have a majority in at least 82 of the 163 House districts. Um, last year, that did not go anywhere in the state legislature. Uh, and this year, they are concentrating more on congressional districts, of which we only have eight. So it would only need to pass in five of the eight districts. Now, that's not necessarily that difficult. There was a similar abortion vote in Ohio this year, and it passed by 57 to 43 percent. They tried to pass a concurrent majority using congressional districts, and that failed. If the, um, the abortion vote that passed by they just needed a simple majority. If it had gone by congressional uh, districts, it still would have passed. Eleven of them would have uh, voted for it, and only four would have voted against it. So uh, I think it needs to be a small um, district or a small political subdivision that makes things closer to the people. Um, so that's going to be one of the... Um, challenges is to try to get good uh, initiative petition reform in the uh, legislative process. Um, well, I've had a lot of fun doing this this uh, show this morning. Hey, really quick. Uh, we had somebody ask about your articles that you were reading earlier, uh, yes. and they were wondering if there was a place that they could get them. I will try to uh, put those. I have my own website, drjohnlilly.com. Uh, Dr. Uh, hard to remember. Uh, <laughs> but I will try to, I've got those on a flash drive. Um, I will try to put those on that, on my website. So Perfect. You know, and wait a little bit and go to drjohnlilly.com. I'll link it to the podcast notes as well. So if you're listening and you're like, ooh, I want to look then, um, I'll make sure to put that on there. All right. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much.